You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Uh, You guys can get to your seats real quick, and then you guys can actually stand for the reading of the word. Abby's going to come up and read a few texts for us today, as long as she has a microphone. There you go. Hello, hello. So this is a reading from Mark 5, 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I have a second one for you. This is from a reading from Acts 17. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is the word of the Lord. All right. First off, Abby, great job. You got two regions correct in the way that you said them in the first century. That's very impressive. Um, Second, let's pray because I don't know if I'll be able to do the same. God, thank you so much that we get to gather today, God, as a community, that we get to spend time together. We get to stop and reflect on what it looks like to follow you, God, to be uh, a believer in our current culture and context. God, I pray that as we speak or as we have a conversation today, God, I pray that this conversation would sink into our hearts, God, that we would know what it means to help your good news, the gospel, make sense to those around us. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, for those that don't know me, my name is Josh Chevalier. I'm the college pastor here. Matt mentioned my name earlier, so this is the second time you guys get to hear my name. <clears throat> oh, I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, my last name is, a, is about like a first century city. It's pretty hard to say, uh, but it's also fun. So, hey, we are going to be talking about this idea of sharing the Savior today. We have been talking, doing this series called BLESS. Um, Don't get distracted by the acronym. I know acronyms can be lame, but the content's actually really good. Uh, We've been talking about, we talked about the first week about beginning with prayer, right? If we are going to be, and and just really the idea that we are, have been, as in Genesis 12 says, blessed to be a blessing, that God wants to use us to help our friends come to know who he is. And so we begin with prayer there, right? And then we talked about how do we engage with others? We listen, we eat. Um, Jake gave us a uh, a quote that I don't want to butcher. It says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. A guy named David Augsburger said that. And that quote has just been sticking with me over the last month. I'm just marinating on it and just thinking about, man, listening to others and love are just so interconnected. 
Um, and so we listen and we eat, and then we also spend time with people by serving them um, and spending time with them. And so, and then today we're going to talk about sharing the gospel or sharing the Savior, telling our story. And, you know, other kind of ways that we talked about this traditionally in the church is evangelism. When I was like 1920, people stopped liking that word, so they used missional living, but you get the gist. We're talking about telling others about God. And, you know, the first four, like when we talk about those, man, we're good with that. We're like, oh, listen to others, eat with them. I have to eat. I can do that. Serve them. Cool. They're going to like me more after I serve them. Then we talk about sharing the gospel. It's like, nah, I'm good, man. (laughs) I'm out on that. And I get it. And that's why Jake went out of town this week and left me up here. (laughs) You know, I could go over the years of the times that I've gotten to speak and the things I've gotten to speak on. They're not people's favorite topics, but this is actually one of mine, to be honest. But I'm also an interesting person to actually talk on this subject because evangelism, at least traditional forms of it, I'm actually not a big fan of. Um, And so here I am talking about it. Um, But also on the other side of this is I've built, honestly, my entire life after reaching the 80% of people that would not step foot inside of a church. And in the West, we have about 80% of people that no matter what you do, how nice of you are, how much you love them, they just won't come here. And for me, that's been the motivation of my life. And so how did I get here? How did I get to where I didn't like traditional forms of evangelism, but I want to give my whole life to this idea of God's mission and helping others uh, understand his love. And so when I was, uh, actually, when I was 24, I moved all the way across the country from D.C. to L.A. to actually learn how to do this very thing. Because, you know, I, I grew up in the church, and when I was 19, I really started to walk with Jesus and started to do that with an organization called Crew. Crew is known for evangelism, for sharing the gospel with others. And, and I really got hook, line, and sinker in that. I loved that idea that my life can make a difference in that way in introducing people to Jesus. And so I did this thing called Summer Project with Crew at 19, and I went away for two months, and we just went and to beaches, because beaches are fun, but they're also good places to meet new people. And so I got to share the gospel over 300 times that summer with different people. And I saw several people pray to receive Christ. It was a fun summer. But then I got home, and I have, you know, kind of my background, as I just didn't grow up in large churches, so most of my friends were people that weren't Christians. And, like, most of my friends that I went— I had in high school also went to college with me. And so I just had this built-in advantage of just having really cool, good friendships. Um, but none of them uh, were believers. And so, um, so I went back and I was super excited after this summer to go share the gospel with my friends. Unfortunately, every time I would talk to my friends, what I was saying to them like, felt like it was a foreign language to them and just wasn't hitting them. And then fast forward three years, the one guy that didn't go to college with us, that was in our, like our core friend group, um, he was actually my best friend. And when we were 22, just out of college, uh, my friend and I invited him to come to this uh, young adult gathering. It was like 5,000 young adults in D.C. that would get together. Um, and it was, it was awesome. It was like the best thing that Christianity in D.C. had to offer at the time. And my boy was willing to go, and I was excited. And so I take him in there. I take him in. The music is awesome. The speaker was legit. And I was like, this is it. Like, my boy is going to come to faith. And so after the service, I turned to him and goes, hey, what did you think? 
He goes, I didn't understand a thing that was happening in there. Like they might as well have been speaking Spanish because he, he just it didn't get it. And for me, like somebody that this, I had seen this have impact on other people, but the way that we were talking about Christianity and talking about Jesus just didn't make sense to the people that were closest to me. And I had two choices. I either just kind of walked away from all of that together or I lean in. And I heard this guy, Erwin McManus, from this church called Mosaic in LA speak at a conference. And I was like, man, if my friends got to hear this dude, like he's speaking their language. He's speaking totally different about the good news of Jesus than I've ever heard. And so I moved out to LA to go learn from him and to learn how to do this thing. And, you know, essentially what I learned was just a couple things. And it's kind of a big word, but it's not that hard. It's called contextualization, right? To say things in a way that makes sense to the end user, the person you're communicating with, instead of just saying it the way that you understand it. So I learned how to contextualize my story of how God has intersected my life. And also learned how to contextualize the story, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of God's love. And... You know, essentially, what are we talking about here? What I want to talk about today is this, how do we take these four components that we talked about, beginning with prayer, listening, eating, and serving, and allow those to inform the way that we actually share the story of God's good news and our own story with those around us. And so that's what we're going to talk about. But I want to start with this, uh, this point, this idea that um, for a lot of us, like, there, we do have a t- tension with the idea of evangelism, sharing the gospel. But here's the reality. We are all evangelists. We all share good news in different ways. And here's what I mean. My mentor, Russ Johnson, he says this, we naturally extend to others the things we enjoy. So if you saw a good movie like Barbie or Oppenheimer, like this summer, you were probably telling others about it. And you're like, you've got to see this movie. If you've read a good book, I don't read much, but people that do, if they read good books, like they're telling me about why I should read that book, right? Matt told that he listened to this podcast by this guy, Malcolm Gladwell, that him and I love, and he's telling me why I need to listen to this podcast. And if you're in my house at all, my daughter, Mackenzie, and my wife, Kari, my wife, Kari, is evangelizing Mackenzie on why she should be a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> and it's working. It's working. Don't tell my daughter that, but it's working, right? We all have different things that we evangelize, right? If we think it's good news for others, then we talk about it. So the question for us is not whether we're evangelists or not, but what are we evangelizing about? And why, for many of us, do we not talk about Jesus? Well, I think there's several reasons for that. And I just want to say, as we put these up on the screen, that I have a lot of empathy for these things and for why people don't share the gospel. The first is negative experiences, right? Either it's actually in sharing the gospel, like it just didn't go the way that you thought it would, or you felt used by the church or your youth pastor or somebody close to you because they made such a big deal about this that if you didn't do it or if you did do it, you were just simply a cog in the system, right? So we have a lot of negative experiences with this. Others of us, We have a lack of knowledge. Like when I talk about the gospel and how to share it, if I ask you how to share it, you may not know how to do that. So lack of knowledge can come into play here. Fear of rejection. We live in Austin, Texas. We live in the center of Austin. 4% 
of people in this part of the city would call themselves a follower of Christ. So there's legitimate fears about rejection here. Busyness, right? We're all busy people. We had COVID to give us a break and we just filled our schedules back up, right? We're all busy. These are, and these are all legitimate reasons. But the, I don't know if these are necessarily the main reason. I think the main reason why many of us don't share the good news of Jesus is that if we're honest, we don't actually think it's good news. Or maybe another way to put it is we don't know how it's good news to us. I remember a few years ago, this just struck me. I was talking to my student leaders in the college ministry about sharing their faith and about the good news of Jesus, and I was going on and on. And I asked a question that I thought was, was, was kind of obvious. I said, hey, how is the good news of Jesus good news to you? That's the response I got, silence. And I go, oh, I made some assumptions that maybe aren't true. See, for many of us, we think the gospels, as Tim Keller says, are the ABCs. Like, it's good news when we come to faith and maybe about where we go one day. But we don't put the gospel, we don't see how the gospel is the A to Z's, that it's the all of life. That the good news of Jesus isn't only relevant about when we come to faith, this one moment, this transaction, but it's relevant to all of our life. And I think if, we ha- if we're going to share the good news of Jesus, we actually have to see how it's good news to us. Does that make sense? I love that response. <laughs> but honestly, though, if it's not good news to you, if this isn't something you naturally extend to others, like that, that's okay. It really is. And I just want you to know that, hey, you're welcome here. A lot of us are in that place. You're not alone. And what I would say is, like, hey, tell somebody about that and talk about it. Because maybe there's, uh, there's ways that it's good news to others that it can impact you or influence you or remind you of how it's been good news to you. And I think if we're going to share our faith, we have to have two beliefs. The first belief is this. The good news is actually good news, right? And then the second one is this. Why, God wants you to use you to share his good news, what does that look like in the scriptures? Two ways that we see this in the scriptures. God uses us to, use, uses us to share his good news by telling our story about God is, how God has intersected our lives. But then he also uses us to share his good news about how he's intersected the, the lives of humanity. And so I want to step in here. We read these at the beginning, but I want to read them again. In Mark 5, 18 through 20, um, it says this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how much, uh, how much, or how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and how all, and all the people were amazed. And then Acts 17 uh, says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So right away, we see two different examples here, all right? One, the Decapolis, this man who is demon-possessed, he tells his story 
and people are amazed. And then this other one where Paul, here, and we'll get into this, he's actually going to share the good news of Jesus in a way that makes sense to the people around him, right? But the first one, telling our story. God wants us to tell our story of how he has intersected our lives, right? And he's intersected our lives in so many ways, how he had mercy on us, how he's walked with us in these painful moments in our life, how he's changed us in different ways. And this is what happens in Mark 5, right? He's, Jesus has sailed over into this boat. I'm gonna give you a little bit of context, but Jesus has sailed over into this boat to the region of the Gerasenes, right? He meets this guy who's demon-possessed. Nobody can do anything for this man, the scriptures say. And Jesus says, what can I do for you? And he heals this man. And then he has this crazy story about these demons going into pigs and they run off the side and it's like, okay, this is crazy and weird, right? But then this man says, hey, I wanna stay with you. And Jesus says, no, or I'm gonna go with you. He says, Jesus says, no, you need to stay and tell your story. And God wants him to share a story and he wants us to share our story as well, right? But here's the lie that I think most of us need to reject if we're gonna tell our stories. And it's just a simple one. It's many of us believe we don't have a story. Now, by raise of hands, uh, and this is kind of risky, but we'll do it. Um, how many of you guys came to faith at a young age or grew up in the church? Okay, several of you. Okay. Um, how much sin did you really do before the age of five? Yeah. Rhetorical question. But how many of us know that that is not the only time that God has intersected our lives? Right? Every one of us has brokenness, right? We have hurt. We have pain. We've made destructive choices. We have broken relationships. Many of us have experienced death in our life, right? We had these moments that God has intersected our lives, right? Not necessarily the moment we came to faith, but we have these different moments in our journeys with him that I'll call divine intersections. These major moments in our life where God intersects us. Now, here's the problem with the church and the way that we've taught people how to share their stories. We only teach them how to share the story of how they came to faith, right? It goes something like this. What was my life like before Christ? How did you meet Christ? What is my life like after, right? And it goes something like this. I stunk. I was a bad person. I was awful. I was, you know, whatever. I was sad. I met Jesus. And now I'm a great person. I'm perfect. And I'm happy. <laughs> right? I mean, literally, this is how I learned how to share my faith. And look, it's a little bit of an over, oversimplification, but you get the point. But there's major significant problems with this way of talking about Jesus. First one, it's not true, right? Like, I came to faith, like, my parents sat me down when I was three and talked to me about Jesus, so I could talk about all these ways I was bad before I was three, but I can tell you that who I was, was, was as a three, I was a much worse person at 23, right? And I don't care how bad a three-year-old is, sin has exponential effect on somebody, and so does destructive choices, right? So it's just not true. It comes off as inauthentic to those around us. Life is much more nuanced with this. I think culture has done such a good job in movies and film and TV shows and capturing the nuance of life. 
Second thing is it comes off as inauthentic. We essentially come off as the marketing team for Jesus, right? Like literally, what is it called? What are you taught to do when you learn how to share your story? I learn how to share my what? Yeah, people aren't confident in that. Testimony. (laughs) People learn how to share their testimony. Literally, in marketing, you have something called testimonials, right? When I was growing up, back when I used to watch commercials, there's a girl named Jessica Simpson. Anybody know who Jessica Simpson is? Okay, a few people. Yeah, she's not that relevant anymore. <laughs> but she used to be awesome. She was on Disney. She was married to this dude named Nick Lachey. They had the perfect marriage. It was awesome. But she also, RIP. All right. She also had a commercial about acne, right? And Jessica Simpson, for those that don't know, she was like very famous, very popular back in the day. Um, and her acne commercial was like, hey, my life was awful when I had acne as a teenager. Well, every, never mind. Okay, she had acne, right? She got this product. She, she put this product on her face and her acne cleared up and her life was awesome. And I was like, but it's like, Jessica said, her life was always awesome. Anyways, but, but it's like, this is the formula of testimonies. My life was awful. I have this product. Now my life is great. I was unhappy, now I'm happy, right? But again, the problem is this isn't the life that most of us experience, and so it comes off as inauthentic. Last thing, it's, it's incomplete. It's only part of your story. When you only tell about the part where you met Jesus, it's an incomplete story. This isn't the only time that God has intersected your life, right? More often than not, you have better stories than the one of when you came to faith to tell other people that relates to their stories. The stories, again, of your hurt, of the destructive choices that you've made, of the broken relationships in your life. And better yet, when you know the stories of hurt, of destructive choices, of pain, of your friends, you're able to share your stories in light of their stories and their pain and their hurt and their brokenness. And so if we don't just tell the stories about when we came to faith, then what do we do? And so I just have one point here on this part that I want to hit on, and it's this. Simply tell the honest stories of how God has divinely intersected your life. Again, simply tell the honest stories of how God has divinely intersected your life, right? Tell the stories of your hurt, of your disappointments, of your destructive choices, and how God met you there. The key here is to be honest, right? Don't try to spin it into a Disney ending. Disney movies are just notorious for always ending well. The problem is you are not at the end of your story. You are probably in the middle, hopefully, or maybe, right? You're probably in the middle of your story, or you might be in the middle of your journey of where God is meeting you, right? And just be honest with that. There still may be hurt and pain where you're currently at. Tell that story. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Tell the story of your mourning and God meeting you there. There also might be healing and reconciliation and hope in your story. Tell that story too. 
Just be honest with wherever you're at. Because here's the deal. Honest stories are powerful. It's why all of marketing has gone to powerful stories. But they're, they're powerful for this reason. Stories connect. Honest stories, they connect with us. Vulnerability is the pathway to intimacy in any relationship. So if you're vulnerable with your story, it will connect you with that other person. They're also powerful because they resonate, right? People can relate with stories that are honest because they go through the same things. We all experience the same things. And the third reason why stories are powerful is because they humanize you. Christians love to give off this aura of perfection. I think because we think we have to, we're supposed to look like Jesus, we're supposed to look perfect, and so therefore we act like we are like Jesus. <laughs> when the story of the gospel is that we're not that. That's why we need Jesus. But I think we, have, we feel like we have to live up to this image, and then we try to do that with our stories. We try to match what we see in Jesus or in Paul in the scriptures. And what it ends up doing is it dehumanizes us to others and makes us unrelatable. And so people might say, man, look at that person. Look at Kristen. She's awesome. I can never be like that. And if people say they can never be like you, that means they can't relate with you. And they can't relate with your story. And what you want is for people to be able to relate with your story and just being honest with what your story is. And then finally, share your story in light of their story. In light of, again, their hurts, their disappointments, their broken relationships. But God doesn't only want us to share our story. He wants to share his story, right? His story of his good news, of his love for humanity. And he wants us to do that in light of their story as well. And so we see that with Paul, and he does that in Acts 17, right? Now, I'll say this. As we get into talking about the good news of the gospel, I talked about earlier, you might have a lack of knowledge. And so you can't share something you do not know. So I would encourage people, learn a way of sharing it. When I was 19, I learned a way to share and I shared it with a lot of people. And it was super helpful for me later on because then I could share it in different ways. I learned how to share something called the Knowing God Personally booklet. Now I went and bust out that booklet because I memorized it and then I would share it with people, right? There's other ones. There's the bridge illustration, right? That's a good one. There's a newer one that I really, really like called the three circles. But learn a different way to share the good news of Jesus. So then you can share it in ways that make sense to your friend, the way that Paul does here in Acts 17. And I want you to see what Paul does here because he shares the good news of Jesus in light of the current cultural moment of Athens at that time. And so he says this in verse 16. There we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the, the city was full of idols right? So Paul looked around and he wasn't like, cool, I know exactly what I'm going to say. No, he was, he was stressed out, right? There's something about what was going on there that caused some friction inside of him. In verse 22, it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found in an altar with this inscription to an unknown God but you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And again, a few quick points. Paul notices idols, right? But the same thing that gave him friction internally 
is the thing that he uses as traction to share the gospel. And then, you know, what he does in between verses 16 and 22 is he actually goes and he talks to some Jews in a local temple, synagogue, and then he goes into the marketplace and shares with more people, and he runs into these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers there, and they go, what is this dude trying to say? So if you ever feel bad about not people not understanding you, Paul, they didn't understand Paul either, so you're in good company. But they didn't understand what Paul was saying, but he ran into them, and he talked to them. They invited him into a conversation into the Areopagus, and so he goes to them, and he shares the gospel in light of their cultural moment. He says this in verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything else in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From the one man, he made all the nations that that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So a couple things here. Again, Paul shares in light of their current context or their cultural moment. So he uses temples, right? He talks about God is not in temples built by human hands, right? Well, temples were a big deal back then. So Paul uses that, right? He's talking about idols, temples. He goes on, he says, hey, this God doesn't need to be served by human hands. The, the current, or what they thought back then was that, hey, we appease the gods. But like Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says an iteration, or God says it, Paul says an iteration of that here, right? God isn't served by human hands. No, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then he goes on in, uh, in verse 28. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He quotes a Cretan and a Stoic philosopher here, right? So he's using their poets, their philosophers to talk about Jesus. Now, interesting, he doesn't mention Jesus' name one time in sharing the gospel here. But his message is clear. And some of them, like the result of this, I don't have it up here, but some of them, some of them sneered. Like, who is it? What is this dude talking about? Others of them said, we want to hear more. And others of them, it says, became followers of Paul and believed. Right? And I want to go back to one. I'm going to take a quick commercial break in this. And I want to talk about one thing here. Verses 26 and 27. It says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Now, what did, what is Paul saying here? God has set the boundaries of their land, the geographical places that they lived, and the appointed times in history, the chronological time in which they lived in history. Why? 
He said as he did this, so they would seek him and reach out to him and perhaps find him, though he's not far from any one of us. See, we have friends here that live in Austin in 2023 because what Paul is saying is this is the best possible time and place in history for them to meet Jesus. And what I want to say to you is that the inverse is also true, that God has put you here in Austin in 2023 around your friends who don't know Jesus because you're the best possible opportunity for them to learn about who he is. And God isn't playing this like divine game of hide and seek, right? When, I was, when my daughter Mackenzie was little, when she was like three years old, we would play hide and seek in the house. And this is how we played. She would come up to me, she'd go, Daddy, I'm gonna go hide in the bathroom, count, count to 10 and find me. I think that's what God is doing here. He's just saying, come find me, reach out for me. But he's also pursuing us and he's pursuing our friends and he wants to use us to do it. All right, I'm off my soapbox. So like Paul, how do we share the good news of Jesus with others in such a way that it makes sense to them? First, we have to discover other people's stories. That's what the first four weeks of this series was about. We pray that God would give us discernment. We pray that people would see how God is intersecting their life. But then we listen to them, right? We genuinely listen to them. We help them feel loved and heard. We eat with them. We spend time with them. We serve them, right? We can't contextualize the gospel or help it make sense to somebody else's story if we don't know their story. So lots of what you're doing in your friendships is just learning stories, hearing stories. And then we share the good news in light of their story. Pastor Jonathan Dotson, he actually was the pastor of a church that used to meet here in this building, um, Austin City Life. He says this in this book, Unbelievable Gospel. He says, we possess the most attractive and repelling message on earth, which has been and should be communicated in endless, dazzling, and mundane ways in order to thrill the human heart, capture the imagination, and rivet the intellect. Yet all too often, all we can eke out is a single phrase, Jesus died on the cross. And I'm not giving this quote to like guilt or shame you guys. Like honestly, this is more on church leadership than it is on anybody else. I just think the church has done a really poor job of helping us learn how to say more than Jesus died on the cross. And there's lots of ways to talk about this story and how to share our stories and God's story. I want to tell a, I think it's a funny story, um, just to lighten the mood a little bit. But my daughter, Mackenzie, who I mentioned before, when she was five, she was, uh, we were all watching Star Wars. Now you can judge my parenting on whether I should let a five-year-old watch Star Wars later. But we were watching The Force Awakens, and there's a scene where Kylo Ren, like, speaks to the mask of Darth Vader. I think this is his grandfather. I'm not a huge Star Wars person, but he's speaking to this mask, and um, it's this huge scene in this movie. But my daughter, she's super empathetic, and all she can think about is Darth Vader in this moment. And she goes, she goes, oh, poor Darth Vader. 
he was bad but became good. I'm so sad that he died. But he died so that his son didn't have to. Kind of like God sent his son to die for us so that we didn't have to because of the bad choices that we made. And my wife and I look at each other and we're like, did we just get Jesus juked by like our five-year-old daughter? Like, what just happened? But then Mackenzie, in perfect five-year-old fashion, goes, but I haven't done anything bad, so <laughs> we're still working on her. <clears throat> she was so close. No. But here's the deal. If a five-year-old can figure out how to contextualize the gospel, so can we, right? It's just expanding the way that we think about things, right? How do we use all the resources? How do we use our current poets our musicians and our philosophers and our movies and the things around us to talk about God and to make sense of life. All of us are trying to make sense. We're just bringing into the story of God into how people are making sense of their lives. We talked about different ways, right? I've already talked at nauseum about hurts and disappointments and broken relationships, right? And destructive choices that we make. Those are certainly, for many of us, how God has intersected our stories and is intersecting the lives of our friends. But there's another way, and this is what I learned when I went out to Mosaic. There's something called soul cravings. Now, I lived in LA in 2007, so we had some weird language back then. But soul cravings are just these cravings or these intrinsic needs that every human has. It's this, it's this uh, craving for intimacy or love, meaning or truth in destiny or purpose. So I have this chart up here that I want to show you guys real quick. And it just walks through this. Every person is on a search for love, for truth, and for purpose, right? And these, these come out in different ways. Love, it's acceptance or connection. We call it belong, belonging in Midtown College. Truth is security or trust. Is there anyone that I can trust? As much as we look for truth, we're looking for people that we can trust to get truth from destiny or purpose, right? Most of us are looking for significance or success. That's what took me out to LA when I was 24 years old. And these aren't only like things that are built within us. These are from the very beginning of the scriptures. Intimacy, Genesis 2.15, Adam, it was not good for man to be alone. Right before that, meaning, truth, or right after that, Genesis 3, 1 through 6, the whole story of the serpent and Eve. You know what the serpent says to Eve? Did God really say? What is he saying? Can God be trusted, Eve? No, he can't. You know what? If you eat that fruit, you're gonna be like him, knowing good and evil, truth. Meaning, destiny, purpose. God creates us in his image. He gives us a vocation to represent him in the world, to rule and to reign, Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says. He puts Adam in the garden, Genesis 2, 15, and he says, take care of it. He gives him a vocation. These things are in bed from the beginning of humanity, but it's not only in the beginning, it's now too. In 2017, the Washington Post wrote an article called The Radicalization or The Rise of Youth Radicalization. This is in light of the white supremacist rally that happened in Charlottesville. I don't know if you guys remember that. It's pretty sad and painful and destructive. But in the midst of that, they interviewed all these people and said, Hey, how did we get here? And a guy, a reformed white uh, nationalist, Christian uh, Pichion. 
Picciolini, uh, he says this. He says, I think ultimately people become extremists not necessarily because of the ideology. The ideology is simply a vehicle to be violent. I believe that people become radicalized or extremists because they're searching for three fundamental human needs, identity, community, and a sense of purpose. Intimacy, meaning, and destiny. See, this is all over us. And if you want to share the story of the good news of Jesus, man, learn these in your own life. How has God pursued you in intimacy? How has he intersected your journey of looking for acceptance or connection or belonging? I wish I could talk about these more because there's a lot to go into these. But what about truth, right? Or looking for people to trust, right? Knowing good and evil. How's God intersected that journey? Or purpose, your significance or success. How has God intersected you there? So if you want to contextualize your story or the gospel to others, you need to be able to answer that question. What are my primary intrinsic needs? Most of us have one of those that's probably deeper than the others for us. For mine, it's always been destiny or purpose, right? And then how has God intersected that area of my life? And the second question is, what are the primary intrinsic needs of of my friends? And how can I share my story or God's story in light of those needs? And I wish I had more time to get into that because it's really good and it's helpful. Um, But you would kill me if I kept you past the Cowboys game. So just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Go Pats. Um, But yeah, but the answer to these questions ultimately shape how we tell our stories and how we tell God's story in light of and others' stories. So how do we meet people in the midst of their story? That's the ultimate question. And as I get into this last part, those that are doing communion, y'all can get communion and get it ready. Um, but how do we meet people in the midst of their story? I think ultimately this comes down to looking how Jesus did it. See, Jesus for us, right? He's the ultimate example of contextualization. God himself takes on skin and bones and human flesh and becomes like us. Hebrews says that he can sympathize with us, right? He experienced what it's like to be human. He becomes like us, and he doesn't only become like us, right? But he actually dies on the cross, to give us a chance to become like him. And so he came, you know, he came to show us what the good good, good news looks like in real life. And this is what we celebrate in communion. And so as we um, get into communion, I want you guys just to bow your heads and just reflect for a few minutes. Just, hey, what are my intrinsic needs? Where are the divine intersections of my life? Where has God intersected my story? Whether it's my hurt or my destructive choices or my broken relationships, right? What are my primary needs? Intimacy, meaning, and destiny. Which one? 
Where is God intersecting my life in those different ways? Give you guys a few minutes um, just to think about that, and then we'll take union here. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.